Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. We'll read one verse and then we'll pray and then you can be seated. We're still on repentance um, this month and today we'll just look at space to repent or like I would like to say time God has given us time to repent and it is where we'll start the verse that they give us is just basically this is taken out of a thought one verse taken out of a thought but it's in Romans 2 and 4 and it reads or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Okay, let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you today. God, I thank you that you have made it possible for each and every one of us, Lord God. You have given us time and space to repent. I thank you for it. Touch us today, God, as your people, as we look into this word. For we need you, holy God, to anoint us, to anoint our minds, Lord God. I thank you. You know us, God. You know what each and every one of us, God, has went through this entire week, Lord God. So I pray that you anoint us, anoint our minds, Lord God, to be able to hear and to comprehend and to retain this word in our heart. Touch us today. Touch, our, Lord, each and every one of the Sunday school. God, I pray. We need you, holy God. And we ask for your anointing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, this month we'll be on repentance. And as the title says, space to repent. God has given us a time or space. And I think that's out of pure mercy that he's given us this. And I don't believe, this is my thought on this, when God created our first parents, I don't believe time was created then because they were sinless. So why would you need time? If you had a couple in the garden, time shouldn't exist for what was time. But I believe when they ate of the forbidden fruit, then, out of compassion, God created what we know of as time. I believe that was when time was created because out of mercy, God said, I can't let you dwell in this body that has been contaminated. Basically, God put a time limit on the time they would dwell in this body that has been contaminated. Because that is why God put the angel, that's not me, that's why God put an angel there with a flaming, a flaming sword saying, you with this body that has been contaminated can't get back to the tree of life and live forever in this contaminated sense. 
So God said, I will give you time or a space to repent. This was done out of mercy. He did this. Now, I want to go and read one verse. And if you don't want to turn, just follow with me on the screen. This is the um, Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 2.5. This is the way that the Holy Ghost anointed him to word it. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, I know what we usually think about that verse, but think with me just a minute. He said he used Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness. Now, what we normally do we go and we look, as God said, as it was in the days of Noah. We go to the conditions of the time. But the apostle said he was a preacher of righteousness. What did he do to obtain this label? He just got up every day and told those that was around him, his world, what was coming to pass. And in doing that, he made him a preacher of righteousness. So he did this. And he said, he saved, uh, but saved Noah, the eighth person. And I would say, I guess he really was a servant. So he was named last, the eighth person. And then he said, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So Noah, in his preaching, telling humanity at that time what was fixing to take place, Apparently, no one took him at his word because he took God at his word is what brought in the flood. Now, if Noah would have got discouraged, I'm sure he did at times, but if he would have let discouragement overtake him and said, you know what, it's been 50 years and no one believes me. He could not do that. He had to continually get up, say what God told him because that, him doing that is what brought in the flood. The Bible just told us. Him doing that repeatedly is what brought in the flood. Now, everything he believed, everything that Noah believed rested in God's word. Because God come down, basically, as we would say, give him the blueprints to the ark. He said, I'm going to flood this world with, with uh, water. And then he goes to telling humanity what's fixing to happen. And then... What he faced, we don't know. We have to just speculate, but we know humanity. You know, I'm sure it was just like to them at that time, all you see is a stack of lumber every day. All you see is a stack of lumber. But God has told me to see an ark build out of that stack of lumber. To you, it's just lumber. To me, it's an ark that's going to be built. And then they would say, to you, all you see is moisture on the ground. But to me, God has said, I'm going to let rain fall from heaven. But all you see is just moisture coming up from the ground. God is going to reverse that and send water from the heavens. So he takes and he does that. And then he says, to you, I'm just another voice. All you hear is this voice for the years. But I see it as in God fulfilling his promise of what he is going to do because now 
you have a time to repent. God has given them time to repent. And to you, the animal is starting to act funny. But to me, I see it as God fulfilling a promise to me that he's doing. Now, he says, and they could have said to him, you know what? Everything is starting to feel strange. Why are you going into the ark? That's okay. In seven days, there will be another promise fulfilled. God is going to flood this earth, and he did. Now, everything, everything that we believe, God has basically walked this earth in human form. He's gave us a command, just as he did Noah, to preach and to teach this word. But everything we believe, it's bound up in the pages of this book, with one exception. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He has given us His Spirit along with this. Noah, the Spirit rested on him, but it did not rest in him. Yet he believed. He believed God. So what we believe rests in this. Now, we cannot let the darkness hinder us. What if Noah was to get up and say, you know what? For 75 years, I've preached the same thing, and I'm looking at the same seven people. Can't do that. You can't do that. We can't say, well, we're a church out here, and we've preached and preached and preached, and look, you can't do that. You cannot have that mindset. You cannot let the conditions determine what you do. Because if Noah had, his family would have been lost. The conditions is what we cannot let grip us because God said, no, don't do that. God gave him a command, and that's what he did. He preached, and what I want us to do is look at the other side of this. What we do is we look at the conditions. The Bible called him a preacher of righteousness, and that's the way I want us to look at it now. We have been given space to repent, all of us. God has given us through his mercy He's been given us space to repent. Now, it could have been said right at the very end of Noah's life. They could have said, okay, Noah, give us your final word. You're going up. You've preached ever what you believe, 100 or 120 years, and all you've got is eight people. Literally, give me your last word. And I believe Noah would have said something like this. In your eyes, in your eyes, you only count eight people. But you need to look through mine because this will not die with me. They will be millions of people that God is going to repopulate this earth and millions of people is going to believe this message. All you see is eight people, but God is going to give this humanity that's going to start with me millions is going to enjoy this. But all you see is eight people. But I see a multitude of people that's going to believe this and embrace this. And God is going to give it through me and my family that's going to give humanity space to repent. And that's what I want to talk about. God has given us this space to repent. That's why I say don't let the conditions Determine what you do. 
If you get up, if you're in situations that are so dark, do not let that dictate you. You can't do it. If Noah would have got into that frame of mind, he would have lost. Where would we be today if Noah would have just said, you know what, what's the use? All my life I've reached and I've only got eight people. But God was trying to get him off of the conditions and get him off what God was trying to do. So if we look and it's just all I've touched, you don't know the people that you've touched. You don't know what the ministering has done because people that has just looked at your testimony that has said, you know what? I don't know what it is about them, but whatever it is, I believe that is what I need. Would just And you may have not never ever spoken to them because if you look at just, you know what? I just do and do and do and hope and pray and, and just witness and witness and witness and I don't ever see nothing. Don't look at the conditions. Do not look at the conditions. When you do, I think you limit God. You just try to draw God down to these conditions. And I'm telling you, God said, as it was in the days of Noah, don't look at the conditions. Look at the other side. He was a preacher of righteousness. Be just like that. Do not get hung up in this frame of where it says, oh, it's so dark. It won't matter what I do. Yes, it does matter what I do. And it does will affect the kingdom of God. If you do not persuade, let the enemy persuade you over the conditions. Sure, they're bad. Sure, they're bad. But my God is bigger than any condition or whatever hell can belch out. That does not matter. God is still God no matter what. He is. And that's what I want to believe in him. Just as Noah, just as Noah believed all his life, put all his faith and stock in God, and God took care of it. And we, we are sitting here today because of the faith of this man. I'm telling you the truth. It's Bible. We are sitting here today because of the faith of this man that took God at his word. God come down, told him what to do. He did it. And we are a direct descendant of the faith of this man. And of his faith is what I want. I'm telling you the truth. He did not let this happen by accident. Now, to our lesson. It says, space to repent. The 400 years, you wonder. At the end of the Old Testament, the 400 years were there. You wonder, why did God put 400 years from the Old Testament? I don't know. God does everything for a reason. That is for sure. And it's not up to me or to question anything that's done. This I do know enough about God's word. Everything that's in it, everything it is about is for a reason. And here again, in saying that, I will say this. It's not up to me to try to figure out every reason. God has a purpose. It's not up, it's, God doesn't know, owe me an explanation for everything that's in here. I believe that. But for four centuries, there had been no prophetic voice, no inspired pen, or divine revelation. Now, the entire nation of Israel needed a prophetic voice. And God was going to send it in the form of John the Baptist. He was going to do this. 
when the book of Malachi ends, one of the last, or some, some actually believes that this is the last verse when he tells them, basically, there will be no more prophets speaking, and I'm just phrasing this, but what I want you to do, Israel, is to remember my law. Do not forget the law. There's going to be some years of silence with me speaking from the prophets to you, but do not forget this law. Let this law guide you. It's what he told Israel. So they was doing this. We know that the, the term Sadducees, Pharisees, these other names of, of sex hadn't even been thought of. They was not even mentioned at the time. But in the time of our Lord, the Sadducees was really the ruling class of the elite people, of the religious elite. They had the liberal interpretation of Scripture. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they believed in miracles, life after death, but their legalist approach of God's word made in their adhere to the legal, or really, yes, to the letter of the law, dis, uh, diminishing the spirit of the law. The fruit of this screwed their approach to the spirit and self-righteous hypocrisy and corruption. In other words, they just wanted to just say, you know what? you got to be so holy, I'm so holy. But the spirit of the law, they wouldn't adhere to. It's all about the law. Everything is about the law. But the spirit of the law, they, they, would, not, um, they would not agree with. So this conception, John's birth, for starters, his conception was announced by the angel who announced his name, followed by the dumbing of his father until his birth. The angel took... He informed his parents that this son, John, would be a world shaker because he's going to come. You're not going to have to wonder what this man is saying. He's basically going to tell Israel, you need to repent. It's what he's going to preach to Israel, and they are going to take him serious. Within weeks, you can read in the Bible where basically John was emptying out the synagogues from Dan all the way to the, uh, Beersheba, where he was telling the people something they hadn't heard in a while. You need to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he was telling them this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's telling them this. Now, our verse that we read in Romans, it says... It takes it out, really. Or despisest thou the riches of its goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's Romans 2 and 4. Now, I believe when you read this, because a lot of people says that you're to judge others is to judge yourself. And I'm not... I'll just say it like this, and you don't have to jump on board. This Jump on board. This is me. But when you read 1 through 4, and I'm not going to read it, but 3 I'll read. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. This is not a play on words, what I'm fixing to say, but this I believe. Was he saying... 
was Paul trying to say that you're wrong for judging? And I'm not saying that we have a license to judge. The Bible says you don't need to judge, literally, if we believe the Bible. The Bible says you'll know the tree by the fruit, so there's no need to judge. But some says from this that if you judge others, you condemn yourself. Okay, what does Paul say? And I believe what Paul is saying is they, others said that you shouldn't judge from this. I believe what Paul is saying, okay, and I'll use me as the bad guy, okay, and I'll use Bobby. He, he's, he's got tough skin. So if I'm standing up here and I'm pointing out Brother Bobby is doing something that's wrong, and in secret, I'm doing the same thing. But yet, I'm, I'm standing up here like I'm a Pharisee holier, holier than thou, and I'm condemning him. I think that's what Paul is, is speaking here. He's saying, who do you think you are that judging another that God's not going to hold you accountable? I believe that, that's what this passage is about, one through four, is that you think God's going to let you buy because you point somebody else's fault out and yet you do the same thing in secret? You think you're going to get by? And then that's where we get our fourth verse. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God is leading thee to repentance? You can't, you can't think that if you're doing wrong and you look at someone else and you cut them off at the knees, that you take that God hadn't corrected you at this time to think that is okay that God is letting you by. He's not. That is God giving us time or space to repent. And he's saying, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And that's where he, he's trying to say that this goodness and the Bible tells of this, or the lesson tells of the story here of Joshua. In Joshua, it tells of Achan, where he took and hid the spoils. And the goodness of God actually turned out to be a hindrance to Achan. Said he buried the spoils and he tried to hide them. And, you know, this should have been, you know, what would it have been like to be in Achan's shoes? And then for you to be told, look, you're going to be living in houses that you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, but you were so impatient that you had to go steal something that your eyes seen when he's saying, no, leave it alone. The first fruits is to the Lord. Do not take anything. And to take and to hoard something, when... Joshua was telling him, our reward is coming. Be patient. Do not take this. And literally, a blessing of the Lord was his curse. It really was. It really was. He looked at it like, God has blessed us. He has blessed us. He had blessed them. But at this time, the leader had told him, do not take none of these spoils. And he took, and the blessing became a curse. So he should not have done this. The blessing literally became a curse to him, and he should not have done it. So that's why if I'm doing wrong, or excuse me, that was a wrong word. 
when I'm doing wrong. For me to come to church and go home and not feel nothing. I've got to say, God help me. Don't let me come in here and not feel nothing. Don't let me take that as your approval. Let me know that you've just given me space. You've just given me space to repent. I don't want to take that as approval. I want to take that just as it is. You have given me space to repent. And I don't want to associate that with approval. I do not want to do it. Now, in the parable of the certain rich man and Lazarus, good things didn't make the rich man good. And bad things didn't make Lazarus bad. Sometimes in our culture, especially in our culture, we associate that. When people is going through hard times, do not, and I hate to sound that way, but do not think, what have they done? We have an enemy that wars against us that never stops. That never stops. Now, the variables in life had little or nothing to do with our eternity, but it demonstrates the magnitude of maintaining a constant humility before God. Now, when it comes to living for God, we have, through the word of God, we have people that we know, they're all over the spectrum. Some seemingly, and I hate to use this example, some seemingly have it easy, and others unbelievably hard that live for God, and all in between. So it's not poor me. Look at how easy I'm having it. But look at them, how hard they're having it. That's up to our Heavenly Father. There's all kind of variables that we go through. A lot of it could be, you know, if if you go soak, soak yourself in debt and then wonder why am I in debt, that's one thing. But that's a physical. Our spiritual, we deal. We deal with an enemy that fights us. That is for sure. That is for sure. But we can never, ever pray about anything and then wonder why this. We have to pray every day and say, God, cover me. Cover me every day, every day. Now, good things usually motivate, do not motivate carnal Christians to uh, demonstrate repentance before God. You know, when things is, <laughs> when things is going good, baby, it's all right. let's go with it but when things is going bad and you know we all face them we're just human we're just human and on a positive note I will say you know what God knows us he knows what we're like he knows our character our personality you know so so in, in a way and this is not just an approval but just take this God knows you. God knows you. He knows your mental capability. He knows what you're like. You know, if somebody cuts you off of the knees, why hadn't you done this? Why hadn't you done this? God really knows you. He knows what you can take, knows what you can stand. And God promised us he would never put more on us than what we can bear. So the one that's cutting you off at the knees, 
doesn't know you, but God does. And I'll take his word any day over the person that's chopping me down. <laughs> over the person that's chopping me down any day, I promise you. Now, Paul has said like this, and it's truly, truly unique. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That does not happen overnight. That is truly a disciplined Christian that has learned. And, and that just takes time. That just takes time, I believe. He said, I've learned. I know how to be abased, how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound, both to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now that is the answer to everything that he stated up to that point. I can do all things through Christ. It's not like I have the strength within myself. I can't do nothing. Really. I'm telling you, I have it the strength to do nothing. But if I will rely on the God that loves me and that knows me, then, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Because that is where my strength is going to come from. Now, when we are in the right place with God, his goodness should have a humbling effect on us. Because we, when we are thankful to what God has given us, to the position that he's led us to, to what we know in him, surely it should humble us and make us thankful for what he's given us. There will always be the case if we have a thankful... Um, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, in the last days that people would become unthankful. Immediately after, he added that they would become unholy. And it's unique the way he worded that. He said people would become unthankful. And then the next thing is unholy. When you become, when you come in these doors... And if we allow ourselves to become unthankful, Paul said the next step is to become unholy. So it's, and the sad thing about it, you know, and I'll paint me as a bad guy. If I come in and the music's too loud, it's too cold, they sang too long, Brother Boyd preached too long, you know, and all of that might be true. Hey, he's in the back. He probably ain't going to listen to this tape. <laughs> but he probably will this time. <laughs> but the thing of it is, if you allow that stuff to go, you know, for long, you know, I allow myself to become unthankful. And then, uh, you know, and Paul said that if I don't get a handle on that, and continually be unthankful for what God has done for me, the next step is to become unholy. And I don't want to do that. Because God in his mercy has given us time to repent. He's given us a space to repent. Unthankful people has been spoiled into believing life and everything around them owes them something. And I'm telling you, if we don't live in that world, then I don't know nothing. This works against the theology, the theology of grace and our salvation through Jesus Christ. God owes us nothing but gives us everything, and that is the truth. 
what God has given us, what he went through. If, if you can't go, I mean, I started to say one time a year, but we should read the crucifixion more than one time of a year. But if you can go and read the crucifixion and not just be overwhelmed, I don't know, of everything that God went through, of what he did, how he did it, and everything that he did was for humanity. And I don't believe you should state it like that. Everything he did was for you. You've got to personalize this. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was for the masses, but if you just allow yourself to be lost in the crowd, then it don't move you. But you got to say, he did it for me. He did it for me. It wasn't for everybody else. He did it for me. God touched me and did it for me. That's why when we stop to reflect of what we did deserve, and that's judgment, what we received was God's mercy, and he did it as a result in showing us repentance and humility before him. God gave us the chance. When we apply this by the goodness of God, we use this. To be used by God is truly something amazing to us. It is astounding to be used by God, by his people, to touch and to impact others. God uses humanity for humanity. And that's why I've said it's just, it doesn't matter who you are, what your personality is, how weird you think you are, how strange you think you are. I'm telling you, God uses everybody. Everybody. God needs every facet of humanity to get his message out. And we think it's got to be somebody that's perfect and righteous and, and never done nothing wrong. We've all done wrong. Literally. And if you think you hadn't, it, you need it more than all of us. I'm telling you the truth. But God is able to take everyone. You sh- we, of all people, should not categorize sin. Sin is sin, period. We all need, all have sinned. All have sinned. God has given us all space to repent. And I think that with us, it should be the most sensitive, I would say, to us of knowing just what the extent that God went through to allow us the availability to repent in the time. There's one other thing that I want to use. And if you, if you was to ask me of where I think where I think we are today this is what I'd tell you and it's an example in the Old Testament but first I want to say this Genesis God gives us basically the creation speaks of Abraham I want a people for me Exodus is going to take them out of the iron furnace that people he's going to separate Leviticus 
I'm going to give you the law. I want to tell you exactly what I want. Okay? We know that the law, basically, from looking at it from this side, from this side of Calvary, the law gave them a list of laws, but they couldn't be righteous enough without the Spirit of God. But I want to use another analogy from the Old Testament. In Leviticus, when we sing the song, the song or use the analogy, cover me, that is an Old Testament word from atonement. Atonement in Hebrew means cover or hide, hide me. That is literally the meaning of the word atonement in Hebrew. In Leviticus, God used the word atonement 45 times. Now, we know for a fact they could not be holy enough without the Spirit of God. But my point is this. How many times do you think the word holiness is used in Leviticus? 87 times. Three times from being double. And we got those that says it does not matter. Look at the analogy of what it was to what it is now. They could not be holy enough. But God used the word atonement, 45. And then in the same book, he used the word holiness 87 times. So this is, this is my point. This is where I think we are, the church world in general. This is where I see us at. And this is where I'll read. Leviticus 10. And Nahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either from them a censer and put fire therein and put the incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now, that's usually the verse that we read, but I, I just, real quick, I'll just tell you the rest of the story. Now, Exodus 24 and 1. I want to show you that these men knew what they was doing. Exodus 24 1. He said unto Moses, you come to the mount of God. He said unto Moses, come up, to the, come up unto the Lord thou Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. Okay. God called Moses up to the mountain. He said, what I want you to do, you come up. Bring the 70 elders, Aaron, and the two sons. You come up to the mountain. You come up to a point. Israel can't come to the point that they're coming. So they knew what was taking place. You stop them here. And Moses, I'll bring you up further. They came as far as the priest could come. But Moses, I'm going to bring you up. And they was in the presence of God. They knew what was happening. Okay. Now, this is what's happening here in Leviticus 10.1. That's what they did. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back one verse. 9.24, Leviticus 9.24 says it like this. This is the fire of God. And there came out a fire before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat 
which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell upon their faces. Now, there is seven occasions in the Old Testament when the fire fell. Seven occasions. This is one of them. Now, what people don't realize is when they say, let the fire fall on us, this can be the result of it. Okay, 10-2. And there went out fire from the Lord. This is the same fire that fell from heaven. There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and there they died before the Lord. Now, my point is this. They took what they had went through. God had caught them up to the mount. They was there. They had come back. And the point that is never said when this scripture is read is they had went through, Aaron and his son had went through seven days of consecration. Where this fire comes out, this is the eighth day. Why they took, made their own fire, and then took the incense that was holy unto the Lord and went in to the holy place, I don't know. But they took and created their own fire. What you did not do is you took the coals from off the burnt offering. And that is the fire that created the incense. They created their own fire. They went in. Now, they had went through all of this. They had went through. This was the eighth day. And which, which the Bible says, in which God had commanded them not. So God let the fire, the same fire, come out and consume them. Now, the Bible says that they was consumed. And my point is this. In Acts, Acts 2, and let's read 3 and 4. This is on the day of Pentecost when God poured his spirit out. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each and every one of them, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now, I really, really believe this was God in his way of accepting the acceptance of what the people did in the upper room of the cloven tongues of fire, the one initial evidence of God going back to the Old Testament where he would let fire fall from heaven. So we have what's known as a charismatic movement in our world today. They try to create tongues. They don't realize the fire they're playing with because as Nehu and Abihu created their own fire and went in the, which was, uh, the holy place which was representative of the Spirit of God. That's why God consumed them or killed them. What they don't understand, if you mess with tongues and you associate that with approval, you're just given space. You're given time to repent. But the judgment is still there. That is why the Bible says, as the Spirit gives the utterance, not as you teach yourself what to say. It is says, as there appeared cloven tongues of fire on each and every one of them. Now, 
the same fire that fell in Leviticus 9.24 and that consumed the sacrifice and made approval is the same fire in Leviticus 10.2 that killed Nahu and Abihu. So I'm telling you, that's why I believe that in our movement today, what this was, Nehu and Abihu, they had completed their time. Everything was done. This was the eighth day. They had went through everything. Like, why now? Moses had told them, you read this story. Moses had told them where to stand. Basically, do not move from this spot. They said, no, I'll do it my way. And if we don't live in that world, I don't know. We got so many people that says, you think you have the truth? No, God has the truth. You transgress this, well, nothing happened. I'm okay. Okay. At your own detriment, you'll do it. Because the Bible says, as the Spirit giveth the utterance. The same fire. The same fire that gave the approval is the same fire that killed them. So this is the one. And he's given us space to repent. And do not, do not take that for approval. It is his mercy that we have that. And I thank him for it. God bless you. Let's stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.